Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of This Week in Innovation. Today, Brian and I are going to talk about the attention economy. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jeff. How are you, Jeff? Doing well. They're putting in fiber in the neighborhood. So if you hear a jackhammer, let me know. I'll go to mute. But that's exciting times for us. So hopefully I will have a super fast internet connection maybe in a couple of months or so. That is awesome. Yep. That is awesome. I do have fiber. I ran fiber all the way because of a lot of the meetings that I do and some of the like the demos that I do sometimes is very bandwidth consuming. So yeah. I did it like a few months ago and it's really good. Yeah, ever since then, I get pretty good connectivity. Fantastic. Brian, today you want to talk about the attention economy. What, what does that mean? So basically, the, the idea about the attention economy is it's almost thinking about a consumer or a user's attention, the time that he or she spends, say, watching TV or interacting with the product or, or spending time on the internet. Looking at that whole concept as the human attention is a scarce commodity, right? And it's, it, there is so much of it that you want any human or any person has in a given day, right? You have only have 24 hours and you probably spend 18, 20 hours being awake, right? Or maybe 16 hours, depending on how old you are and how young you are. So the question is, it's a scare. The point is that it's a scarce commodity, and within this scarce commodity, how well uh, can brands, how well can websites, how well can products grab the attention of any human, right? Uh, any user, any consumer. That's why this is interesting. So we are applying the traditional economic theories that we apply to finance or any other scarce commodity. And you apply that theory to attention, to the human attention. And that is what the attention economy is. So you've taken something that's very much an art or like something that evolved over a time and you've attached an applied scientific principle to it and you treat it like a scarce commodity and value it. Okay, so makes sense. When I started my career, there were uh, there was cable, and barely cable, and there was... Uh, a few channels, there was radio, and that was it. And now I've got two plus million podcasts I, I can dig through with 600 channels, almost unlimited streaming services. So that time that I spend as a consumer becomes incredibly valuable where I put it. And it's a precious resource to all these various um, objects, interactions, things that are looking for my time. What, what do you do with that then? I think it's about, I know I think it's a great question, I think, Jeff. I think it's all about understanding where users are spending time and how it is broken down between the different avenues, the different channels, the different types of activity. And then the brands, as well as these content providers or even retailers, can figure out methodologies to create value because essentially a user's attention is not free. How do you create value within that time so that it becomes a transaction both parties benefit okay so if you're a retailer what do you do what do you do with a busy mom who's got all these two million podcasts to pick from and 600 channels how do you engage that person in this new world well, that's a great yeah absolutely jeff so maybe what i'll do is let me talk a little bit about how things are broken down right between traditional things like tv 
and others and how how the internet as well as content on the internet is consuming that pie and that how that pie is beginning to grow between the different sites and then we'll go into retail but i think i definitely want to ta- talk about how retailers can leverage some of these things and learn from how the media giants are already using it and there's a lot of lessons and i'll walk through some retail use cases but let me spend like a, a quite a bit of time talking about the media in and the current landscape itself so that'll give you a pretty good background right so if you look at like the tv watching right um daily basis i think we spend about um 3 hours right on tv watching tv every day so it used to be a little higher it used to be like 207 minutes at one point during the pandemic it was 213 minutes a day and then based on statistica and other analyst uh, sites it's actually going to go down specifically tv or i mean it's like traditional screen the big screens on your home but then if you break it down a little bit in terms of overall screen time that's actually not reducing that's actually increasing so we are uh, all adults in america on average over 18 are spending about 4 hours and 16 minutes a day watching consuming content so that also includes the screen share time of things like youtube especially the younger audience watching more content and i'm sure our listeners are aware that the world population is about 7.9 billion right so out of the 7.9 billion the youtube audience is about 2.56 billion So that's a sizable number, right? That's not to ignore. And YouTube's content reach is about 32% of the population, right? Of the internet population, not the world population, but the internet population. Then the ad reach is about 51%. So it's pretty pretty large numbers you're talking about, right? And they've also had especially tremendous growth during the pandemic. And as we are getting out of the pandemic, because the audience is very strong, right? Same thing some sort of applies to every other audience, like Instagram, 1.48 billion users right and then the ad reach is about 18.7% and they grew i think about 85 million users 6.1% right? tiktok is another one that's actually growing fast as well they had 60 plus million users 7.3 percent usage so you are seeing this audience of audience growth across and then you're also seeing streaming and mu- music services right people are willing to pay for these things because at one point there was a lot of ad powered content but now of course there is 31% of the people in america pay for a streaming service or a movie service right this is not only about just a subscription it's it could be about subscription on demand one time purchase right across all those things so you are seeing like content people are consuming content but also paying for it and there is also a big appetite for this type of thing right uh which is really interesting to see the other thing is that as people are spending a lot of time in free content consumption social media right the whole social media advertising spend it says itself is about 33.1% of the total ad spend right pretty big so all these things are growing and another thing that's interesting is because a lot of the stuff that we cover is very commerce oriented right so if you look at the worldwide arpu right average revenue per user for e-commerce is about $1000 right in the us it's about $3000 so the e-commerce is more advanced in the us other than us is of course you have some of the asian countries which have more commerce like hong kong for instance right so that's a big that's a big number and that sort of purchase the arpu is broken down across about uh, electronics being the primary category about 9 billion dollars 99 988 billion dollars annual spend followed by fashion which is about 900 billion 
And then you have other categories going on. Another thing, Jeff, that also somewhat caught my attention is this, this whole concept of grocery online, right? People purchasing grocery online with any of the services. I, I think in my previous podcast, I told, right, these days that Sarah and I, only, like all of our safe face shopping is pretty much, you know, order online and pick up in store, right? Now we even started doing that with Walmart as well. So now we basically do either Walmart grocery or safe grocery if we need to get grocery, right? Worldwide, I think it's about 28% of the population have at least done it once. Now you look at the United States compared to the world, it's actually the number is slightly low. It's about 23%, 23.7%. But that's actually an increasing percent, right? But the Asian countries have much more deeper online grocery purchases. This is an interesting thing because today, I think even a few weeks ago, we ended up speaking to a couple of startups, Jeff. Remember the delivery companies, right? This is a really exciting area because I think this has a lot of growth potential. And I think pretty much we're going to have, just like we having Amazon boxes appearing in our house all over the world and even in the US, you're going to have a lot more boxes coming in from not just Amazon, but all kinds of grocery and all kinds of other retailers. Then that same thing also somewhat applies to other industries as well, like travel and everything. But let's, let me first address the retail and then we'll talk a little bit about travel, right? Um, retail, I think is interesting because in the retail space, like how can, if I'm a retailer, how do I actually gain the attention, right, of my shoppers, of my consumers. See, I think the most important thing is to look at all your touch points because in the old world, it used to be, what I mean is 10 years ago, eight years ago when apps came in, you know, it's all about, I have a website, online site, I have a, I have a store, and then I have an app. But the world now is far more complicated because users have multiple touch points. It's just not the, it's just not the store. It's just not the online app. It's just not the, website, even in on the on your mobile device, there are 20 different ways one could interact with you. They could be opening up a Google Maps app and they can communicate with you or with your brand through a through a Google's business messenger or through Apple's business messenger. They could be doing search on the phone. Your filters appear. They may be in the text. They might be texting their friend, but they may be referring to your brand or like they may be doing a shopping, referring to the shopping notion and then you could appear as a filter, right? An app, a little applet in there or an app clip. So all these uh, touch points have, are there and there is much many ways to interact with the user, which means there are more ways to, the attention is sliced and diced in, in smaller chunks. But as a brand, you can't try, you can't, you cannot just focus on capturing all the major three chunks. You want to be able to capture smaller slices, but many of those smaller slices which makes it harder for a brand, but also it creates more exposure, more probability that they will actually look at you, which is, which is much, much better. The other thing I also like to focus is as retailers, you always think about customer journey, right? Let me give you some two examples on these journeys, right? One of the brands, is, one, of the, one of the areas we could look at is essentially in the automobile sector, right? Imagine you are in the automobile sector and you have a brand within your company that provides, you know, oil changes, there's another brand that actually provides car washes. And then there's another one that does repair and maybe another one that provides paint. So you can look at how the attention gets broken across all these things. The car wash would be a weekly activity. Someone would come every week, every three weeks, every two weeks, every once a month, right? But then as you go through the upper spectra, very seldomly, like once in every two years, they may, get, they may come for a repair and hopefully they don't come, not a repair, but a paint job, right? or a collision job. 
but they may come more frequently for an oil change every three months. So you can look at all those things and plot a consumer's path, a journey through you, and how many times do they get to interact, not just with one brand, but across all your brands. So I think this is where like a lot of the understanding of the customer's data is very important, right? Really deeply understanding the customer and breaking down all the sort of the brand barriers and the data segmentation challenges, but really understanding, like creating a full path, the full, the single view of the customer, the full view of the customer. Also understanding, using machine learning, understanding how they're interacting across all your apps. Because one of the challenges that happen within brands is that, and retailers is that as uh, the demand for digital group, people just started releasing so many apps. Like there are so many apps out there, but there is no data that are collected from them or not enough. Or if the data is coming in, it's not merged with the remaining data. So this whole idea of being able to create that single view, understanding and analyzing, and not just personalizing, but uber personalized, creating contextual personalizing, and also creating a cross-brand, cross-holistic uh, view of a given customer, I think is super important. I can also give a similar example, Jeff, uh, on the beauty industry, right? So if you are a, a beauty retailer or if you're a beauty brand, imagine the female consumer from the time she wakes up till the time she goes to bed, all the way on her shopping patterns, the early wake up morning routine, the application of foundations, the application of makeup, the application of mascara and all those things in the, in the, from the morning till the time one is going to work and then online shopping behavior, right? And then ability to create journaling throughout this process, throughout her day. And some parts of the data is automatically captured. The other part is kept manually entered or captured through various forms of interactions. And then when she walks into your store. So this entire journey, I think, is a part of the attention. So the beautiful thing about retail, I think, is it's unlike the ad folks, because the ad part where the Ad providers or advertisers, the traditional, the ad media, they, even though they have a large volumes of data, the journey is not clearly stitched because they are not the single brand that is provided because they are serving the brands as, a, as an ad tech or an ad media company. But I think as a retailer, you're serving somebody through that entire customer life cycle across that entire day in a life, which gives you a better visibility. Uh, you want to track that data, right? And you want to create better personalization, better ways to serve this customer. And also to think about methods to increase that attention space. Curious, Brian, if you have any any thoughts on the super apps that we've talked about a little bit in the past in use in China, in the East versus the West. And we don't have a super app. I guess I'm going to tee up and see if if you think Elon's got a shot at uh, turning Twitter into a super app, like that tweet that we both commented on. So maybe just talk a little bit about super apps in the customer journey. In the does that help or hurt in the attention, um, the attention economy? And then maybe speculate a little bit. What do you think Elon might be trying to do with Twitter? See, I think the super app concept is definitely interesting because just like Elon said, right, these super apps are like like extremely popular in Asia. WeChat is one of them. And there are tons of apps that's all using like single purpose. Even in the US, if you think about it, I think a while back there was some data I saw online that was like every day consumer uses looks at only 13 apps. If you're not within the first couple of screen on your iPhone uh, or your Android app, most likely the app gets ignored or eventually deleted. So the idea is to that consumers have, this goes back to the attention, right? Attention is a very scarce commodity. 
right? Yes, we are increased. The pie is getting bigger and bigger, but it can only go so much. It's just like saying there are only like, I don't know, X million bitcoins or X million, X million resources of something. So it's a scarce resource. So I think the question is, how do you actually grab the attention? So I think the idea of a super app is definitely interesting. A super app has, super apps have a positive and a negative, right? The positive is that you are maximizing and optimizing the attention of the consumer, right? Because if you look at all the websites, like all these the consumer sites, right? And SEGF and all these consumer attention technology, the, the study of this, I think, started 20, 30 years ago, I think, through Stanford and other places where they formally taught these kind of concepts in, in, in user design and computer human interface designs, all these concepts of attention, attention optimization, things like, you know, uh, keeping an eyeball on a site and how do you create things like if you go to like things like Pinterest you keep on scrolling the infinite bar infinite scroll wheel comes in those are all methods to create dopamine right because the human mind always um, predicts what's going to come next so a lot of these attention capturing eyeball engagement techniques um, have been converted into scientific instruments right like things like companies like Facebook and companies like Pinterest TikTok all these guys are uh, have been, over the years become experts and their expertise have been got better and better by instrumentation uh, of understanding the data. So the positive is that you can even further optimize it through super app because as a consumer, think about it like it's just one app. It's very easy. I click on this. I do this. All my thing is there. I don't have to go through 20 things in, in my daily. Today, if you look at it, certain apps are very hard, right? I have two separate emails and then one email, if I had to respond to one email, one app, one app has one method and the other one has another method. Then I go from my email to text message, I got to copy things. It's just, it's very painful. It's very, it's not very sticky. It's very difficult. Every app optimizes within itself. But if you take the human functions across two, three hours of actions, the optimizations are not there. Super, super apps allows us to even further optimize the experience and provide a better, nicer consumer experience. So I definitely agree with Elon. But for retailers, there is a challenge with super app, right? If you are not in a retail business where you can, like the beauty example I gave you or the automobile example I gave you, those are retail industries that is primed to do super apps because you have four, five, six things that you can interact with. So you can create increased engagement. But they're also very transactional retail businesses where, you know, you transact with somebody once in a while. So the problem with super apps is that super apps will create gateways, right? What I mean is today, if you look at online, you when you search, Google is your gateway and there is no better search engine than Google, right? Or unless you want to have full privacy, somebody goes to go, but then you don't get quite great results like what you get in Google. Facebook is your social gateway, right? Depending on who you ask. But then similarly, same thing on the, same thing on the, on at home. If you are at home, either you ask your question to Alexa or you ask the same question to Google Home, right? Those are becoming gateways, right? The thing with super apps is these bigger companies would end up creating apps that are highly engaging and they were, they already have lots of touch points with us. So they would, the super apps will allow bigger companies to create gateways. So there will be more wall gardens and more gateways. So you move from Apple's wall garden into Facebook's wall garden into Twitter's wall garden into Venmo's wall garden. So it's, it'll take out some of the retailers out. Today, a lot of retailers have to pay money to all these gatekeepers in order to get a small piece of the attention. So that is a problem and that's going to happen anyway. And super apps makes the problem even worse. But that's also interesting and an opportunity for retail brands is that you can try your own super app and you can engage your loyalty consumers. You can engage your consumers in there 
And then if you, so certain gateways are not fully established, and the voice gateway in home is not fully established, even though the hardware is established, you can still put your app on Alexa. You can put your app on your home TV, in on the Fire TV or any of these things. So there are all these chances of these touch points still exist. So I think my encouraging message is, even though there is lots of negatives, the positives, I think, outweigh. And as a retail brand, retailer or a brand, you want to move sooner into these things and start experimenting with these things. Do we have an example of a retail, a Western retailer that has a super app? I can't think of one. No, I don't think there is a retail, a strict retail example per se. But I think I've spoken to quite a few retail customers who are actually, and prospects who are actually thinking of super app opportunities. So it's, I think it's coming. So that's pretty intriguing. And I, I'm guessing you're not going to go any further into any detail on what you just yeah. said there. <laughs> yeah. I, but I guess what I can say, or I'll ask you, so Elon sent that very interesting tweet out a week ago saying he could, why doesn't the West have a super app? And I think he was clearly implying that if he can successfully conclude Twitter, his acquisition, that maybe he might be thinking of, of that as a potential super app, tying in a payment mechanism, tying in engagement, all that sort of stuff. So you're actually, I think if I read you, read your, uh, read your thinking there correctly, you think that might be a possibility. It is a possibility, but I think the question is, is it a possibility of Twitter is a hard question to answer, right? It goes back to Elon's own questions about bots and all the other things. But I think I'm a big Venmo user, right? Uh, Venmo does that to some degree today, right? You can actually pay, I can pay Jeff and if I, within my network. A lot Feel free to, by the way. Feel free to pay Jeff all, you, all you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> right right now, I just have money going out. I don't have it coming in as much. I know. Yeah, but if I put that in, the, if I make my conversation public, I could see that. And I can sort by certain categories, like all the yoga conversations or all whatever, whatever mm, right? Interesting. For house cleaning or whatever, right? So you can look by topic and so on. I mean, like people like when some of these payment players, I think, are also in a good chance to play there. But I think a lot of players will get into it. You will have payment only social media companies going at it. Then the strict content companies, right? Like Twitter and others from content perspective going into payment and enabling payment in it. I'm sure if like Twitter starts it, they can get a lot of volume because they already have a pretty big user base. So the possibilities are definitely there. And I think what's interesting that Twitter has compared to a YouTube or something else is that uh, it's always, Twitter is always considered as a short interaction, right? Payment transaction is a short interaction, even though shopping is a shopping bills over time. The actual payment process is always a, a short interaction. So I think it's very much in line with that thinking. It'll be fun to watch how that plays out. Brian, what happens in a recessionary scenario that we either are in or a bunch of us think we are getting very close to in, in, in an attention economy scenario? I think that's an interesting question, Jeff. I think this is as recessions are hard to predict. And when you come, when will you come out of recession is also hard to predict. But definitely we are already from the financial side, a lot of value has been lost, especially in the last month of May and April. And I think it started in like late 2021 and you're seeing these things. I think in the financial markets, as you ask very well, the it's getting a stock, stocks are getting a hit, even though stocks being a leading indicator, it's really good to see and there are adjustments happening there. But then that will also come into the private market with startup funding and companies doing layoffs and everything. The attention economy is interesting. But before I go there, I also want to talk about on the consumer side of things. Because American consumers are spending today, right? 
if you look at like just the airline industry alone, because we have been blocked at home for, I don't know, a year and a half or two, locked at lock, and now everybody wants to go out. If you look at the whole package vacation, there is, there was like $41.65 billion, right? I think, I think increase actually on the, sorry, 102 billion in package vacation this year alone, year over year increase, 59% increase. Right? That just speaks to the volume of spending. It also goes back to the nature that people were locked out at home during, locked in at home during the recession, the pandemic period. And then you are seeing consumer spend, even with the, with, even with inflation, even with this high CPIs and all, you are still seeing people spending. And I think that's also a sort of a pandemic, post-pandemic influence. But I think what will happen is it will take one or two quarters till this thing is squeezed out. I think we will have a very well-spent summer in terms of more and more people traveling and spending more and doing vacations and all that stuff. And then as they come back, I think things will slow down. And I think along with the, the stock market getting hit, you will also probably see a consumer a consumer credit squeeze and other things as well, because those are just natural things to follow. Now, let's go into the going back to the So that's just the financial side of how the spending and the, 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 the different touch points. But now if you go back to the, the attention economy suffered a started a recession two quarters ago, maybe in January, as people are getting out of the pandemic, as some of these folks like Netflix and others and even Zoom lost Netflix, lost subscribers. And then the, the eyeballs are slowly uh, slowing down. Uh, the war in Ukraine is moving attention out. And especially as we are approaching summer, more and more people are going to travel, which is actually going to take away a little bit of the, the online usage and some of the attention. But those are things that will return back again. But I think it's really interesting to see when you take the consumer spending squeeze that might come two quarters from now and and the attention re- recession, attention economy recession. But I think attention economy will always grow in grand scheme of things. In sh- short terms, like I said, within a short time window, you may have an up and a down, ebbs and flows. But I think over time, it'll still increase because attention is a very scarce commodity, right? Whether I think whether you are using it online, whether using it in traditional media, whether using it doing physical shopping in stores, it's a scarce commodity. People have only so much time in a given day. So I think definitely brands have to compete. Retailers have to compete. Big companies have to compete. And the science have to be mastered more and more every day. So in wrapping it up, what should a retailer be doing as we begin to think about the impacts of an intention economy. And as we all as consumers begin to understand the value of our time and where we give, well, where we give our time and where we give our attention, what should a retailer do? I think for retailers and even brands, I think this has always been a big priority, even though they don't specifically call it an attention economy. This is somewhere all somewhere in marketing slides all the time. They call it generating traffic and leads and 63% of marketers. That's their biggest challenge. That's their biggest priority. Right? This is across true across all retail and branch. But the thing that's really interesting is I think I would focus on a couple of things. First, I think I would focus on all my consumer touch, which most brands and retailers know, but also not only today touch points that is available today, but what are all the possible touch points, right? My customer journey, which most retailers know their journey very well, but also understanding it from an instrument instrumented fashion. It's what is the empirical qualitative side versus what is the measured quantitative side? Do they do go together? And I think the third part that's really important is understanding and getting a holistic view of your data. Do I have a holistic view of the data today, right? In my, do I have a holistic view across brands? Do I have a holistic cross-promotion strategy? 
do I know my consumer across brands, across all the silos I have in my company? That's a very important one. And then once those three things, I think the thing to focus on is like, what are my, what are the avenues of my being present today, right? Because today it's not just having a mobile app, right? Because if you're a, not a well-known retailer, people may not even use your mobile app and very seldomly. So you want to be able to, even with in, in the whole aspect of mobile, you want to be, be able to be in be a filter, you want to be able to be in business messenger, we want to be able to be in search, app clips. There are so many like avenues within just one device, right? That actually applies everywhere. That's similar math could apply in store. There are so many touch points in store. Similar things apply online. So I think you want to think hard about what are all the touch points very carefully and how do I leverage those t- touch points? Things like super apps, things, uh, things like being, uh, providing uh, capabilities and all these touch points. The other thing is also understand if once you have data on your consumer, apply AI, unleash the power of machine learning, right? Understand your consumer more deeply, uh, be able to do in a deeper uh, contextual personalization uh, ability to know your consumer at at an n equals one level, right? Not the traditional old school segmentation. You are consumer individually, but then not only just that, but also contextually. What Jeff wanted two hours ago is very different from what he wants right now. He wants when me to transfer Venmo him money. I'm <laughs> just joking, but the idea is that people's attention and requirements change by the minute. But understanding that when they're interacting with your brand, I think is critical. So that's why I think you want to look at AI as that force within your company. Brian, we used to talk about the customer journey almost almost as like an interesting idea or a concept. But as we, as a retailer, tries to navigate through the attention economy and trying to battle re, battle uh, us consumers getting off that, that journey and being distracted, that becomes uh, much more of a mission-critical strategy going forward. Absolutely. Fully agree. Yeah. Good place to put a pin in it. Until we talk again, Brian, always interesting stuff. Likewise, Jeff, it's a pleasure talking to you. And I'm sure we talk about very interesting stuff. Hopefully our listeners find the same thing as well. And hopefully they've gathered some little ideas that they can implement within their companies. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.